What is going on, everybody? You are listening to the Playing Out Podcast. My name is Carl Markowski, and thank you for joining me. I, I, it, I guess the cat's out of the bag. I'm, uh, I'm back at it again, playing with Columbus Level. Uh, I, I, I can't wait. Can't wait to compete at uh, the highest level again, and to uh, to see everybody and just get back at it, man. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be insane. I am really excited for the opportunity and uh, very humbled at the opportunity, and I think it's gonna be a great fit, a great mix, and I really, really only hope to add to the uh, the amazing vibe that's uh, that's going on over there right now. They're just uh, they're just firing on all cylinders and have a great you know kind of direction and I like the style of play that they have and just the Midwest feel to it. It's it's great and I uh, I can't wait. It's gonna be sick and unfortunately I will not be in Dallas, but I will be in Philly for the uh, for the major event. Man, there's a lot of teams going to the minor event. That's 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 crazy. Uh, I didn't really think there were going to be that many pro teams down there, but what do I know? <laughs> there goes to show you, right there. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, to our sponsors of the podcast, a uh, big thank you goes to Good Game Sports Park. They it's a new field being built right now um, by Dustin down there. He wanted to create an amazing sports facility for not only tournament paintball players, but also recreational uh, play. He's going to have all kinds of uh, different strategy fields and mock fields uh, down in the St. Louis area, hopefully opening in the summer of 2022. Uh, It's going to be 40 acres, and it'll integrate eSports themes with paintball. It'll also feature 10-man-sized turfed X-ball fields for 5, 7, and 10-man Airball and mechanical fields. It's going to be insane. This place is going to be amazing. Uh, Good Game Sports Park is also partnering partnering with Iconic Paintball on a regular column to share tips and and little secrets uh, for further and future field owners, which is a which is a cool concept. You know, there's there's a ton for the player and and. Uh, some of the industry but as far as field ownership goes or starting a field or anything like that i haven't really heard too much so it's really cool that dustin and quinn are doing that uh and if you want any more information or follow the progress of the park you can go to at gg sports park for uh on facebook and instagram for the journey and to get updates to see how it is going down uh and it's it's amazing, man. Dustin is just going all out for this, and I'm going to be out there for opening day. I don't know the other pro who's going to be out there exactly, but uh, but I know I'll be down there uh, whenever the dates come out. Not 100% sure, but it's going to be sick. Is it going to be sick? Uh, the weather is finally breaking, and paintball is happening. Obviously, paintball's happening all year round for many other places but uh you know that's what happens in the midwest we only have so much time but uh also another big thank you goes to charm city paintball mike over there has been cranking out some amazing headbands head wraps and pack bands for all sizes 
If your head is huge, if it's tiny, he can work on custom dot, uh, noggins and um, he'll get you into something that not only looks great, but it feels great and it wears amazing. These things are tough and they will last a lifetime of you wrenching on the back of your head to tighten it and uh, he just does amazing work and it's uh, it's very cool to see the progress that he's made. Uh, if you can let him know that Carl from the Playing On Pos podcast sent you over there, let's get him more business. He does everything in-house on his own. He's always uploading uh, new pictures of his current inventory and things he's working on. So make sure you give him a like uh, and I don't think he has a YouTube. No, just Instagram and Facebook, Charm City Paintball. And also to Melavio, they have some amazing CBD products that I have been using for years from honey to salve, which I enjoy personally. Uh, they have flour, they have uh, capsules you can take, topicals, tinctures, pet CBD, which I give my uh, pit bull at the moment. He enjoys it. And... Yeah, it's, uh, it's great product. I, I really enjoy for not only the anxiety-relieving effect, but also uh, it helps me out with, with pain, with anxiety management, like I said, and just overall health. I feel like it's, uh, it's a great thing to get into. And if you are questioning trying it out, I'd go over them. They make everything that you see. There's a few things that they, they actually partner up with like the honey um, and they have some of those proceeds I believe or you know I think it's all the proceeds going to uh, the veterans over there in Virginia so make sure you you uh, you hit them up that's m-e-l-l-o-v-e-o dot -E -E com and if you want 15% off your entire order type in promo code capital T-P-O-P and you'll get it so thank you again to all of our sponsors uh, this podcast is with a good friend of mine, Jameson Chop. He was a, well, not was. I mean, I guess everybody's a paintball player because if they continue to play even years and years after, you're still considered a paintball player. But what he has started to master is knife making. Custom knives that he's, the custom knives that he's been kicking out have been amazing. And it's just so interesting to me uh, how somebody could take just raw metal and by hand just crank these things out from chef knives to neck knives i'm a big knife fan so i was super eager and excited to talk to him uh, and really kind of have him spill his guts on all of his secrets and how he does it in the process and it was really cool but um but yeah i'll stop stop blabbing so here is the podcast with jameson chop Congratulations, man. Yeah, thank you. Say that after I get back from the event and I'm like, can barely hold myself together. <laughs> man, all good. No, congrats. I hope you hope you enjoy. hope you guys win some tournaments. Yeah, dude. Oh, so how far away is that field for you to practice? It's like two and a half hours. So it's like... Not it's, too bad. It, yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely not four which I was used to yeah. going out of Chicago. Um, would I like for it to be like an hour? Yeah. But, you know, got to sacrifice a little bit to uh, to yeah. get back in the mix. Mm -hmm. So how are you, man? Been good, man. Just working away. Um, 
just got done with a, a class actually who uh we had a lot of mutual contacts in the paintball industry so really uh, um yeah it was kind of kind of bizarre he uh i think he knew walker who i had just met through i brent and carbon paintball but mm-hmm. um he's been playing out here for a long time and uh totally unrelated found found me as a knife maker and wanted to take class so yeah <laughs> it's pretty awesome. pretty cool so you're you're officially teaching now um i do offer some classes yeah um i've only done a handful but yeah yeah i do so are they like are they personal classes like one-on-one classes or are they like open to you know seating yeah so this was totally one-on-one um we made two so two like neck knives like outdoor knives pretty similar to the, the one you pointed out um over three days so it took us three days to make two knives and that was starting from scratch so we forge welded the steel together and made a sand my knife or sand my billet and then forged those into two individual knives and yeah ground them and put handles on them yeah jeez dude that seems like so quick to make two knives in three days that's insane yeah there was there's probably the first day was probably like a ten, probably an eleven or twelve hour day, and then our set in two days were like eight to nine hours. So um, he made two, and then I made two alongside of him. Yeah. Oh wow. So I mean, from yeah. from the very beginning, like when you're making a knife, is do you are you yeah. like hammer and anvil, or do you use like a, a like a press, or what's what's your preferred method of like let's say the beginning forging yeah. stages. Yeah, so um, a lot of what we do, we make our own steel. So we do start with a, a power hammer. So it's in the name of it is an Anyang. Um, it's made in China, but it's a modern power hammer. Um, that's an 88 pound ram. Um, I can't remember how heavy the hammer itself is, but it's, a, it's around like 3,500 pounds, I think it is. So Jeez. it's a big hammer. Um, we do use, we do have, you know, an anvil and hammer, but. Most of that's for fine-tuning, straightening out, and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, I, I would say, like, a question I always get asked is just how long it takes to make a knife. And, um, like, the most straightforward knife is probably about six to seven hours. And um, a sand, my knife, like we just finished, is probably about 10 to 12. And then Damascus is probably 25 to 30 hours. And that's spread out. It is, so, yeah. During... Yeah. Are you only focusing yeah. on one knife at a time or do you have like projects do you that you get to a certain point equally and then kind of once you get a set amount yeah. done to at that stage you then start on the next one? Yeah, I, I tend to work in batches. Um people kind of have all different processes, but that that works best for me. So like ten to twelve knives at a time and I usually probably do two batches a month kind of around there. So um yeah i kind of like work through 10 to 12 at a time and if one gives you problems i usually kind of set it aside and like troubleshoot that one later and get it to where i want and maybe pick it up in my next batch i kind of drop it off and pick it back up but um generally i work in batches if it's damascus i'll do smaller batches of like two to three because they're just way more labor intensive but 
So what's the yeah. difference between like a normal steel knife to a Damascus? Because I have no idea, and I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, largely, functionally, not much. Um, it's primarily aesthetic. Um, so Damascus, so San Mai is essentially a three-layer laminate. Uh, I guess kind of the alternative to that is like mono steel, which is a one steel knife, mm-hmm. um, what most people probably have in their kitchen. And then Damascus would be one you take at least two different combinations of materials or, or steels, and you start forge welding them together um, into different layers, forging that out, cutting it up, and then reforge welding that and stacking it upon itself and adding layers to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, uh, let's see here. Like, functionally, there's not going to be a huge difference. Um, I would say kind of one thing that you can do is combine different properties of different steels together in a sense like yeah um you can you you can kind of push and pull certain certain traits that steels may have in damascus that a mono steel wouldn't have so i saw one that you made I, i believe it was one of yours but it had like a ribbon of copper through it or something like that yeah dude it was so sweet how Mm -hmm. with with softer metals (laughs) like that how how difficult is that to fold in and keep that uh the i'm trying to figure out how to ask but it's like so yeah you're you're dealing with all these hard metals right and then you throw in that that soft metal i mean how how difficult is that to keep everything kind of together yeah so in terms of keeping it together i okay it's kind of a multi-part question so the one that you saw was actually a piece of steel i bought from a steel maker mm-hmm. that i made the knife out of but i did buy it as a bit of a test subject so i can kind of see up close and personal a how it works and how i can make it so i actually did so that was a piece of steel i bought but then i did attempt to forge weld copper into my own steel about a month ago and it, it worked out surprisingly well um it went better than expected. So kind of the biggest issue with copper is, well, okay, so we're forged welding steel at around 2,100 degrees. Um, and the melting point of copper is somewhere around like 16 or 1,700. <laughs> so to work around that, like if if you don't do anything, when you go to forge weld it, it's basically going to shoot molten copper out of every direction of the steel billet. So oh it's gosh. not good for anybody. Yeah. Um, so what, yeah, so what I do is I weld a bead all the way around the, where I want to put the copper. Mm-hmm. Um, so I fully encase it into like an oxygen free environment and then forge weld it with a fully encased. So it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you have to do that a lot? Like work? Cause I've, I was telling you, uh, earlier about this last, cause yeah. I feel like we just talked. I feel like it was just like mm-hmm. yesterday we just talked, but, um, I noticed that a lot of there was this one channel, uh, forging channel I was watching where they they had like a square tube and they were putting yeah. all kinds of different stuff in there. Um, do you oh, always yeah. have to uh, weld and encom- the in and keep everything inside when you're doing something like that? Is it just to keep the whatever material you're using inside, or is it because of the melting points? Um, it's a little bit of everything, so it does depend on the materials. Um, Generally speaking, it's not the melting points. So once you start to deal with like copper, it is. But um, a lot of pure carbon seals, you don't need to. You mm-hmm. can just kind of tack weld them in place and then forge weld them. Um, 
stainless steel you'll want to weld a full bead because the forging forge welding temperature stainless steel is is way higher and then you just want it to be a totally oxygen free environment but um a lot of forge welding yeah you can do you can do just kind of i, I don't want to say open air but um yeah you don't need to fully enclose it so dumb question why oxygen free environment so as as steel is heated up carbon starts to essentially migrate out of the steel so That's, those are the flakes the, that fly the, off when you start like hammering yeah, the material so, okay yep so that's that's carbon meeting with oxygen which forms scale um if you do it in an oxygen free environment there's nothing for that carbon to bond with so uh, basically when you go to forge weld you don't want those little flakes in between it mm -hmm. so as long as they're not there in an oxygen free environment it, it'll be a nice clean surface for you okay and what are you yeah. what are you dipping the knife into after every time? Well, I guess it's not every time because I'm super ignorant to the process. Yeah. But but what are what solution are you dipping the uh, the material in? Is that is it like a hardening material or what is it exactly? So when I when I heat treat, um, I use there's a couple different types of oil. Um, they they have different different temperature uh, not temperature ranges but cooling rates. Um, so depending on the the metal itself. You can you, you'll use one or the one oil or the other. Mm -hmm. um, when you get into stainless steels, you're doing totally different stuff. But um, otherwise, I do the only other thing that I dip it in is as I'm grinding, I'll dip it in the water to cool it off. Um, and then you do use kind of like an acid etch to reveal the pattern. Um, so anything where you kind of see like the the contrasts, the different colors. Yeah, that's been ditched in, uh, dipped into it's ferric chloride, which is a like a circuit board etchant, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I, I love the blades. Like, I'm a big fan of like natural wood grains and everything. And I really, I feel like mm -hmm. I've the same way about um, the blades of knives. Like when there's a lot of character and a lot of yeah. like just shapes, and it's it's almost it almost looks like like a geode um a geode tie-dye shirt you know what i mean it has kind of Man. like yeah i love those i love it like when i when i first started making knives like we didn't we didn't make our own steel and uh yeah we just got it all in, in bar form and we forged it out and all that stuff but like since going off on my own two two years ago like we made all of our own steel and it's just every time you grind a knife like just a totally different texture or pattern and it feels so much more rewarding. Yeah. Right. I mean, would have to assume that just because like when you make a knife and it's out of this, the, the mono, like you were talking about, it's like all of them are going to look the same. Mm -hmm. They're all going to look the same, but then yeah. obviously you can change the handles out or whatever, um, make those a little mm -hmm. different. But when you, when the blades are unique, I think that is, and then adding an awesome handle on top of that, I think is cool. Yeah. And really just kind of mixing and matching like a really busy looking like blade. I might, Pair with like a really nice piece of wood, but like monotone to let the blade talk, and yeah, you know, kind of vice versa. So, like, if it's a pretty uniform blade, maybe I'll give it like a crazy piece of wood that's you know, nice and contrasting and kind of jumps out at you. I'm telling you, I did get a little excited when you said you finished my knife. I was like, <laughs> uh, I'll send you. I'll send you a picture. Yeah. Oh, I was so stoked. I was like, oh man, I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm such like, I. And I know we're going to go over some stuff we talked about before because we didn't record our yeah. podcast last time because I'm an idiot. But <laughs> um, I, I said before, like, I'm 
a huge knife. I I'm a huge knife guy. I love knife. Like I don't have a giant knife yeah. collection, but I just I like having a knife on me. I like just being able to to grab one on my pocket. I like I like using them. I just I I migrate more towards that than like a firearm. You know what I mean? I just I, it's just the utility of it is is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, when you and I talked and uh, you were talking about making a knife and everything and uh, or making me a knife, I was everything went through my head because you you create such awesome knives. I mean, from from the chef knives, from the uh, from the little neck knives that I've seen, and the in, everything in between has been just completely amazing, and it's so cool to see. And I think what what really attracts me most about knives like that is you know mm-hmm. that blood sweat and tears went into it right you know that that every single um ounce of effort was put focused and put towards that knife at any given time to make it what it is now and i think that is what carries so much weight when it and and i think we've lost that a little bit in in just the community or the 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 people in general because i feel like we're such a throwaway society where it's like well if it's broken throw it away well or if it's this or just throw it away and instead of mm-hmm. taking on this like okay well it's broken how do i fix it rather than just go buy yeah. a new one it's like okay well i have a problem well how do i how do i solve that do i go buy something or can i like can i make it or can i you know and i i think yeah. that is um truly like or like perfect example, right? So maybe not a perfect mm. example, but um, I'm getting these H2K patches made, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna call them just pack patches. And I I want people yeah. to t- like for me, I'm gonna take mine and physically sew it into my pack, right? And I, mm-hmm. I want people to do the same, just so it like you feel more a part of whatever it is that you're doing like like the whole feeling yeah. or the whole mantra behind like h2k is just like having that that confidence and everything and and feeling like you're a part of whatever it is you're doing yeah. that much more and i I'm, I'm trying to relate that into what you're doing I, but no i no i love it like i love and then as you play for years and years and years, like that patch starts to wade and like fade and wear. And like, yeah, like when the anodizing starts to wear off your gun, like, you Dude. know that that's your, like, <laughs> I love it. I, that's my, that's and, my favorite anodizing. It's when it fades off. And like, I mean, gun manufacturers probably won't be happy, but like, I, it drove me bonkers when kids would just like trade guns every two months. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, get a gun that shoots good and you know it and shoot that for five years. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, like, man, find something that works for you and and just roll with it. And, uh, you know, that's, it is something that we preach with knives too. Like, you know, it's an expensive knife, but it's going to outperform anything that you can buy in the store. And then we do preach, like, you do have to maintain it. You have to sharp, all knives need to be sharpened. Like, mm-hmm. You know, it's just the fact of life. Like, um, you know, regular sharpening and maintenance and, it will be a knife that outperforms whatever you buy at the store. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, it will look better in the process too, you know? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and not everybody has the, uh, the capability of accessing that knife. Yes, they do. If they get a hold of you, obviously, but everyone's different. It's mm-hmm. not like you have a lineup of knives that are all exactly the same that are, hung up yeah. in a store that anybody can buy it's like no there's mm-hmm. there's character to it 
and that's what i yeah that's what i love and i mean really once you start to get into like i don't know what you want to call it like craftsperson or artisanal but like everyone stands behind their work too like mm-hmm. you know if i can't warranty like if you throw your knife under a car but like if there's ever anything that goes wrong that like I did like if a, a handle scale pops off because the epoxy glue is bad, you know, like mm-hmm. I'll fix, I warranty that. Like I stand behind it. Like, you know, you're not sending it into like a Walmart super center or something and yeah. hoping they send you a replacement. So yeah. And you know, regardless of me, there's so many makers all around the country and you know, whether it's knives or wooden ducks, ceramic ceramics or yeah, like whatever it is. Like, like the one behind your head right there. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, it was a, uh, it was one that my mom actually did. She, uh, oh really? Yeah, it was some type of a kit, but she carved her initials into it. KC nineteen eighty two. So, yeah, it was like. So a that's kit, where you get it I from. You kind of, yeah, you kind of uh, like put your own finishing touches on it, and yeah, it's kind of like your little. Uh, <laughs> did you design your little your logo? Or I guess it's not your logo. Yeah. So the first one, so I'm saying the first knives that I saw you coming out with was it like the triangle yep. with like the, was that your logo? Yeah. So I came up with that. I like that. It was nice. Yeah. I mean, I like chop too. Same. Don't get me wrong. It, it kind of flows <laughs> yeah. with what you do, but the little, that little triangle was cool too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's just, it's, it's amazing to see that especially now, like over the years, how many people go different directions. And we all had this, this common thing at one point in time where we enjoyed this thing together and we got to meet people and everything. And then you just, you continue on with your life and you go find other avenues and you find other passions and you, you discover other things about yourself um, that -hmm. you didn't know. And it's, it's always cool to come back around and and reach it. and I'm so glad we were able yeah. to do that and and come back around and even even with all the negative like social media stuff that's out there I think that's one of the yeah. coolest is to be able to keep in touch with people where if if none of this if this was 1998 or whatever you know we wouldn't yeah. have talked hardly at ever if we were I mean unless we were like writing letters to each other or something like that which is yeah. the you know I'm, I'm not the greatest yeah. if you can read my handwriting but you know it's 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 cool to be able to come back and um kind of rediscover a friendship again and um it's just cool to see progress yeah same man like yeah that's rad and man like yeah it's so much fun when you were living up in minnesota and like i know we didn't really like hang out outside the paintball field but like yeah it was fun spending several years up there with you yeah i'm stoked to see you still at it and another go at some pro paintball and oh man hell yeah and <laughs> <But> let's <laughs> let's talk about uh let's talk about minnesota paintball for a second because okay. um it was it was such a cool point in time in uh there because we were able to uh enjoy air assault together when it came out and everything and when i don't i don't know if it would we if we would say it was at its peak because when did air assault when did gary start that field Man, I think it would have been 2005 or 2006. It was in that in that little area there. Because I think I I went to Minnesota. I believe I moved there in 2006. Okay. Was it six? I 
I think it was early 2006. I'm trying to think now. Or was it 2005? Because I was with I was with Excessive at the time and then and then I went to Avalanche in 2007. So yeah, so so, to, so I was it was definitely in 2006, I think. I think end of 2006 because we won no, no, it would have been end of 2005, mm-hmm. early 2006, because we won, we won Boston, or no, we won Boston 2006 in PPL, and then we won Tampa 2007, I think. So I think 2006 was the first year that Aerosol was like a full year. Was that with the the red and black jerseys, or was that with the new with the green ones? That was red and black. Okay. I, for some reason, remember the weirdest shit sometimes. And, like, for some reason, the red no. and black ones, like, popped in my head. <laughs> All good, man. Yeah. And that was, it was interesting because there's, like, there's, like, three or four different teams kind of fighting for, like, Air Assault sponsorship at the time. Like, it was a new field and everyone wanted to be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, like, we, so we were kind of in a, uh, combination of like four or five different teams that all broke up at the same time and uh, a guy by the name of jay shelley who used to i think he played on addition yeah he did um he kind of got everyone together and we were guys from north dakota i think not only did you know from south dakota but like northern minnesota iowa wisconsin minnesota and we all got together and um we basically approached Gary and we're like we're not looking for anything other than a place to practice like yeah we don't want you to take money out of your pocket right now. Like we want to show you what we're about and we just want to show up, play paintball, get better. And we'll see where it goes. Um, we wound up committing to super sevens. So it was NPPL. We played two events in 2006. And then I think, I think we played the whole series in 2007. I can't remember. Um, Seven that was in D3, yeah. And then we switched over to PSP, I think, in 2008. Seven Man was fun, yeah. The, I, I was thinking about that today. So I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast probably are so tired of me talking about fucking semi-pro or uh, semi-auto and fucking Seven yeah. Man and all four pods, all this bullshit. But, um, but truly, like, if I think if – and and that was a great time too like 2006 2007 like that was a great seven man time too and yeah i think that it's really hard i think to put into words the atmosphere that was a seven man tournament because just the the feeling of like having the games throughout the day but then still mm-hmm. i think the time in between was cool to like go just go watch games and you just kind of your yeah every game every game mattered so much, but every game could be, what was it? could be seven minutes long or it could be two minutes long or whatever. Yeah. And everybody counted and you only had that one chance and the, just the, the tension in the air around it. And it, and it wasn't as, yeah. as like time consuming as like a 10 man tournament, but yeah. it wasn't as like super fast paced as an X ball match, but it, it's yeah. everybody just gathered. And it was like, there was no um, distraction. I'm almost, it, you were just completely yeah. encompassed in the entire event. And, and 
you saw everyone at the same time. It wasn't like people were in mass, like going and watching other, you know, watching a webcast because there wasn't any, but I mean, everybody stayed and everybody was stayed the whole day and it was just, and the, and the, the vendor areas were huge. And I know I'm like, Oh, back in the day, but I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture it more as like, not like things were better back then, but more or less like just how cool seven man events were at least to me no i agree and like i never i never played higher than d3 but i think i played four or five events but like man they were a blast and like for me what always sits out is like the different fields mm-hmm. and then you know you would you'd have like four games on one field and then like two on one and then like two fields with one and so you'd walk the one that you have four games on most but then like you go play this one field once and it's like how much time do you spend walking it like is your plan good like and then that's the field that determines whether or not blown up by some team yeah (laughs) like and you know kind of the same thing like you can walk around and watch totally different games on totally different fields different skill levels like Mm -hmm. it's all fun i love it but you know when you watch same pro teams go at it on the same field for you know, three days straight, like the games all kind of flow the same way. And it's, it's fun to see who comes out on top, but you know, yeah, the, the gameplay does get competitive at times. I remember playing for Tipman effect when we were playing seven man tournaments and, uh, it was, it was such a cool feeling, um, getting on, un- you know, you're underneath the, you just chronoed, you're underneath the tent, you're getting ready to go yeah. in. And then the pros come in behind you because they're, their matches up next. And you're like sitting yeah. there chrono, like watching <laughs> all these like legends and everything play. You're like, Oh fuck, dude, this is so cool. Yeah. And it's not like sectioned yeah. off. Like you feel a part of it. I, I think the pros, I can't remember if the pros at one point had their own kind of staging area or if it was that that was yeah. like you had to be a pro to get in or if it was just like the pros had their area but it was still open to like the rest of the uh the the event and the yeah. teams totally was that when you played that were you like did you did you guys have to play like a pro team at that point because it used to be like d3 would play like what five d3 teams and like two d2 teams and like a pro team or something like that oh yeah we definitely had to play because we were what division were we i think we were god were we amateur or novice i can't i can't remember exactly what we were because with tipman effect i went pro seven man okay okay but i don't know what we were before then because before we were pro i swore we went in or did we go in as pro but we still played like divisional teams and pro teams because let's okay. see so i was so it was it was 2004 that we i went pro um with tipman effect seven man wise but we were playing division okay. 2 x-ball um okay okay which is weird like playing pro seven man and then going which nobody fucking <laughs> yeah. like they saw tipman effect like playing pro and they're like <laughs> Okay, but we had we had some really good. You know what? I don't think we played yeah. any division but pro in seven man. Thinking about it, okay. And because we had at that time we had the X ball squad, um, but we had the old um, lockout guys with us. Okay. And and yeah, I think we just 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 went pro that year, and but we did play divisional teams, and then uh, the majority of a, of pro teams, but. It was, uh, 
man, it was just, it was super fun. It did, it didn't, I didn't feel professional. I just felt like I got the opportunity to play against professional players. So when I was talking about sitting yeah. in the chrono, I still felt like a D2 player, just, you know, seeing all this shit happen. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that was my mistake. Maybe that's what I was thinking about. I was pro, <laughs> but I felt like a D2 player. You're a pro and pros came in behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man. No, that's great though. I know what you're talking about though. It It is definitely like a, a strange feeling when you kind of experience it. Yeah, and it's cool. It was cool to see you guys uh, do well too, and and come out and just this you know random team from Minnesota come out and play and and win and your guys' story and everything and and being able to help you guys out um, at Aerosol yeah. and then have Gary just be the nicest guy. Like I st- still to this the day best. can't say enough. You know enough. I wonder where yeah. he is. I would love to talk to him. I did too. I. I've tried to track him down a couple of times. I, I think he's just fishing in Florida. <laughs> That's off the, the map. best I can get closest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. I want to, I'd love to uh, find Blake too and talk to him and, and Bruce. Dude, I've, yeah. Yeah. Like I follow Blake on Instagram and I think he's legitimately starting a nightclub in New York. I really, I have no idea. Yes. Yes. Oh man. I like, I mean, I only know what I know through Instagram. I haven't talked to the dude for a bit, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude, those guys were so nice. I remember when I when I was looking for a job in Minnesota, like when I I think it was when I first moved there, or not long after I moved there. Like he let me come, just be this apprentice of whatever, and yeah, and and stay down at his place in Iowa and everything, and then travel to these jobs with him. And I was like a welder's yeah. assistant. Didn't ask me if I knew anything about welding at the time. Uh, no, no, I held welding yeah. uh, welding rods. That was all I did. Bruce was awesome. Yeah, I, oh, they were such such fun characters. Super okay. nice people. You, so we'd always like you'd always come to our practices and stuff. But like when we'd play open play, you hated when we would play with pump guns. Oh yeah, you would have a meltdown. <laughs> I don't know. Thinking about it now, I honestly don't remember that, but I can understand. I can understand why I would. <laughs> yeah. We would just all try and play on like a bag of paint all day with pump guns and you would just have like a meltdown by the halfway point. Probably because you fuckers oh. were shooting me with fucking pump guns and I was like, <laughs> it's like, motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, maybe I was oh, in the mindset. Maybe I was in the mindset of like, if you're going to use just a bag of paint, just shoot less paint (laughs) (laughs) we need a mechanical hindrance (sighs) maybe i don't know like i like i love mechanical actually i I really enjoy mechanical but i i don't i maybe i don't know enough about pump that i don't appreciate it Mm -hmm. enough um yeah and to be fair i didn't like i use my ego a lot but i would turn off my loader and just rip yeah, Brent and Tackle and all those guys were nonstop pump. <laughs> Dude, more power yeah. to them. If I was, I'm <laughs> I sorry, I was a dickhead about pump back then, man. No, you're good, man. You know, I think I we enjoyed it. I, <laughs> I was such a little fucking hothead back then. Like thinking about it, like I was, I, I'm, I'm a kid still. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm still a kid. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I think I'm 20 years old, maybe 19, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Um. And 
I know that I had an ego going for sure. My head was getting big because I was on the team for, you know, I was on excessive again at that year, I guess, or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I think as any um, kid would be at that, I I was starting to gain a little bit more confidence, but more so in the way I think sometimes of, of thinking I'm better than what I am instead of like really being humble at the situation. Um, But I think at the time too, I was just, I was very, I had a veil over my, over what I was doing too, because I, I felt like I was just, um, I don't want to say that I was like conceited or like better than anybody else, but I, I had, I had this just confidence in my play, I feel. And I think sometimes it came off as yeah. like this kind of arrogance. I, man, like, I don't think anyone on our team thought you had an ego or were conceited. Like you had a confidence and rightfully so, like you're a pro player. Like you have to be confident in the games you're playing at pro. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think any of us ever looked at you and were like, that guy's a fucking dick, and I wish he wasn't at practice. Like, no, we loved it, and I mean, a little bit of fire is good. Like, it gets people going. Like, you know, <laughs> definitely uh, had some passion. If it was yeah. anything, it was passion, for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, because there have been times where I have I've flipped my lid, pun intended, where I would like, I even did it. I remember what well, what fucking event was it? It was like it was re- <laughs> it was probably like 2016, maybe 2016 or 17, where we were playing. I remember we were playing Impact, and mm-hmm. we had the most brittle batch. Okay, and also on top of that, what was pissing me off was that all of these high the the high ranking teams were all GI too, yeah. right? And yeah, yeah. at the time, we knew that bat certain batches were being saved for all these higher ranked teams. Yeah, sure, okay, whatever. Um. Mm-hmm. But it sucks when you're when you're in a match with another high ranking team. We yeah. were playing Impact at the time, and I couldn't even like, like I couldn't even dive anywhere, and I would have paint yeah. like break in my loader, and I I, loader, I just got yeah. so fucking pissed one time because like I dove in, I crawled, I I dove into the snake off the break, I like crawled to the fifty. I had like two or three guys <laughs> that I pulled up on, yeah. and it was just squirrels just coming out the end of my. On end of my barrel, which is like, <laughs> like, oh my god! And I remember, um, I remember just sitting there. Eventually, we lost the point or whatever. I got shot. Something happened, but yeah. I literally, I was so frustrated at the situation that I took my yeah. loader off and I spiked it on the ground, and it exploded <laughs> into pieces. And then I, I just, I go into the pit. And I'm so fucking mad because I just want to be able to compete against this team and not have like these yeah. issues. Um, yeah, yeah. As I look back on it now, uh, yes, I could have probably went to the snake without <laughs> paint in my loader, um, but that's just another thing you got to fucking Man, do, and it's it's whatever. But a, yeah, but where I felt like an asshole was that one of the the GI techs who was there for like the loaders went out onto yeah. the field, grabbed the pieces of the loader, and came in and gave them to me, and I was like, I'm such a dick. Like I, I looked like an asshole, and I fucking smashed the, this this guy's like a sponsored loader on the ground on the webcast. Well, I don't think they actually aired it on that webcast, but I could I remember the commentators talking, Maddie and them talking about it. Uh, and um, I remember holding the loader in my hands, and I'm like, I'm such a dick. <laughs> like why did I, for no reason? But you know, you live and you learn, I guess. Oh man, 
I remember a couple of a couple of guns tomahawked across the air assault back in the day. <laughs> that, like, just grab it by the barrel and just gone. Dude, so scary. <laughs> Thinking about it, like I'm yeah. I'm I'm low key terrified of like the air station and like everything. Even with all oh, the safety regulations yeah. and everything, I'm low key 4, like five hundred psi is crazy, dude. Like it <laughs> freaks me out. But uh, yeah. But I remember watching guys like like throw their stuff. Like I'll throw my loader because it will fall into pieces and not kill anybody. Yeah. But like somebody yeah. throwing their gun or like spiking dude. their shit in the ground, I'm like, eee. Yeah, I remember one one off at a PSP I was at, and like it sounded like a gunshot, and like the loader or not the loader, the the canister went straight up in the air and didn't hurt anybody. But, oh my god, dude! Man, I have no idea what event it was. I just remember hearing it. See, and you know another thing uh, I think about too is like whenever you go to a paintball field, um, mm-hmm. how often are the tanks checked for fucking uh, hydro mm-hmm. hydro test? Yeah. You're talking like your your personal tank or like the tanks in the back. Yeah, the personal tanks. When when somebody comes for like open I, play I or whatever. That, yeah. I don't think hardly hardly at all. And at the national yeah. events, how often are they checked? Yeah. Ever? Never. <laughs> yeah, dude. We like, like as a team, we would do it. Like we, God, I think it was Brent. Basically, like as a team. Like first practice of the year, like all twenty people, you'd check your dates, and if your hydro is coming up that year, you would send them all in at once. So mm-hmm. like three, four tanks, and just grab them and send them in. And yeah. Again, no one's really checking, but just as a safety thing, like man, forty five hundred psi is crazy. That's fucking scary, bro. Yeah, terrifying. And how- like that that first that first time you fill up your tank after traveling. Like- <laughs> Screw the regulator on. You're like, like, did I screw it all away? Like thousand psi. <laughs> oh, dude, it's so it's so freaky because even any little chip, even out of the enamel, I'm always looking at like it's gonna come out of there. It's then, it's gonna the chain, the chain warms up. Like, <laughs> yep, it's oh. all hot. Oh, dude, God. even well, you think about it too with how much you like you how much you fill your tank up, how much um uh distortion there is on the reg and the tank itself there and then you degas it and how much yeah. how much deformation is there because you know that metal expand it can only expand and contract yeah contract only so many times before it's like like how fucking like still good is it after terrifying it's still terrifying <laughs> <laughs> even dude even the simplest thing so here i had this idea of it was I, I I who did I approach about it but I think it was I forget where it was maybe it was an ICC tournament or something like that but it was like at an air station uh-huh. and we had um where I at least a couple times or at least a few times I heard like the hose blow off right I'm like yeah like okay well how do we how do we solve that like all right well maybe we can install like maybe do foot pedals so that way you can have one hand on your marker, one hand on the hose, yeah. and then you do a foot pedal or like a hip pedal or something like that where you can like hip check into it and like fill it up that way or something. Yeah. That way you got both hands on it. And then also I thought that like maybe on the sleeve have like a green and red ring 
indicator so that like if you slide it on all the way and it mm. chink and it, yeah, it yeah. clinks in you have a green line but if it if you do it and it's like halfway or whatever there's there's like a fucking yeah. red line or whatever and then you know yeah. i think that would be a simple solution to at least like that av- avoid user error makes way too much sense to be implemented <laughs> implemented <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no those those are great ideas man yeah who knows? Who's you, you guys can have them. I don't care. We'll think. Yeah. We'll think of more ridiculous stuff on top of that. Out of the loop. <laughs> Speaking of ridiculous stuff, so I, I want to go back and I want to talk about uh, again, uh, Gary, um, and yes. and and air assault in general, and how this secret millionaire guy came in super humble. Yeah. But just built an amazing indoor, and then because uh, we were talking about like how I don't know how many times you said you went to his house, but I went to his house yeah. once, and it was like what the fuck, and it's just like yacht seats in the basements, like four stories tall, and it's just like this amazing yeah. place. And then you see, you look at Gary, and he's like wears this tattered hat and like a sleeveless shirt, yeah. and like fucking never had sleeves on, never, yeah. <laughs> never. That dude is the best. Um man like i know like his origin story he uh he worked for a family business forever and then basically just kind of worked his way up and uh i from what i know the family sold out like early 2000s to you know some multinational company and uh just a super blue collar dude like i think he started out literally doing manual labor at his own company so i think mm-hmm. i think it was construction or uh or concrete and I think it was a concrete his kid at company. the time, like, yeah, yeah. And his kid at the time liked paintball, and Gary just was like, "Well, I'm gonna make this enormous indoor paintball field like five minutes from my house," and uh, <laughs> it was just the best. Like, um, Minnesota at the time had two indoor paintball fields, and one was like, man, one was like a hundred feet by like thirty feet, and just concrete. So mm. like, as soon as I mean. It was the slipperiest surface I think I've ever played paintball on. Like Which so, is so many scary. times, you just absolutely each and like just talked about with the tank. Like if you land on concrete, like man, it's just not fun. <laughs> um, then the other one was just like I mean, everyone always called it like a giant hamster pit. It was just like a bunch of sawdust and like uh, I mean, it was it was it wasn't an asphalt field in size, but um, a little under. And uh, then Jerry came and bought. It was almost a seven a full seven man field or no it was almost a full x-ball field i think it was a little bit narrow mm-hmm. and uh it was a little too short to be a seven man field and a little too narrow to be x-ball um and he put like real deal turf in and just really didn't cut corners and he didn't have to yeah i think that's the only way you can really do an indoor field man is if you just go out all the yeah. way and then you and then you pay attention to the maintenance side of it I mean that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing, right? Because if you if you're you can have the nicest indoor field in the world, but if you don't take care of that thing, it's just gonna mold up and it's gonna smell and it's just not it's not good. Yeah, and you know, I mean, he like, like he wasn't there to like make a buck, but like he he ran it like a business, you mm-hmm. know, like instead of you know a bunch of random walk-ons like doing your maintenance and stuff, like he hired employees and they cleaned up the field and took care of the air stations and you know he did a good job of just trying to 
I don't know, a sense of professionalism around the field. Oh yeah, for sure. And I thought, I thought the way that it was laid out was great. And um, I thought the pro shop was cool too. Cause it's like you walk in and it, it was like the first thing. Right. And it just had that long kind yeah, of, you yeah. walked in, you turned Some right. Guns and, and, yep. Yeah. The nice big glass cases. There is the best. Oh, I know dude. Right. He is so fun. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, like uh, I just long story short, like three or four different teams kind of approached him about sponsorships and um, a couple of them eventually fell off, like whether it was organization or life or whatever. And uh, we kind of remained. And then I should say we kind of remained, we did. And uh, it just showed a level of, again, I would say professionalism and commitment. And, you know, we don't waste his time. Like we, we had to practice and we, Hey man, we'll take, you know, Saturday after the business closes and Sunday morning and, we're going to shoot a skate of paint and then we're out. And we did that mm. every weekend for you know, years and years and years. And, um, you know, he, you, we, we were loyal to him and he was loyal to us and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was awesome to be able to play at that place and have him be involved too. And, and he would go to the events yeah. too, which was cool. It was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, he just like Coronas were just his favorite beer. So like, no matter where you went, there was just a chase of Corona and lime everywhere. <laughs> wow. So how did you? He's a he's a. Uh, as I say, he's a like when we would do the the overnight practices, he would let us. I'd say let us, but he would let us sleep in the the field. So we all had like these fucking air mattresses and shit, and mm-hmm. like. It wasn't too bad in the summer, but man, in the winter, like there was a day I thought I might actually die. Like <laughs> it was the coldest I have ever been. I woke up with true like shivers. I, to this day, I've never been colder. Was it? It was heated, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> kind of like <laughs> uh, like heat. I mean, he, he had windows, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of windows, and then like I think just kind of the same thing. Like he didn't. He didn't really crank the heat until people came in in the morning because there's so much air, you know, so much yeah. volume space. To, to heat up. So, yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say? Aerosol, dude. Love it. Um, I was going to say, like, uh, let's go over about how you got into the sport and how you got to that point again. Because you're from okay. Minnesota? Uh, I grew, I'd say I grew up there. I was born in Wisconsin. Um, but, like, my, my high school and formative years, I'd say, were Minnesota. So when do you think Wisconsin is going to take back over the UP? I, mean, I don't Don't, know, don't you think UP they should? Like, UP should break off like 51st state right there. Yeah, well, I mean, it is Wisconsin. I mean, it it kind of is, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. Of... I got to plug my laptop in. I'm starting to lose battery. Okay. Yeah, all right. Um. I was thinking about that. I was I was uh, looking at that state for some reason the other day, and yeah, well, no, yeah, now okay, now I remember. So a person had a Michigan sticker. Since I'm like two minutes from Michigan, they had this "I love yeah. Michigan" sticker on their fucking car, and it was Michigan. It was, it was just the mitten. It was the okay. mitten, but then it was just this little yep. fucking little little tip up top of like little piece of shit. Yeah, up top. I'm like. Okay. Why, why? Why though? That's some bullshit. Like you either go all or nothing. Yeah, dude. Fuck, dude. You're not connected. You're not even connected. 
Yeah, why disrespect it with just a tip? Just just give it back to Wisconsin. <laughs> Fucking Michigan doesn't yeah. need it. Or Wisconsin step up, man. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. What were you talking um, about? Yeah. But, uh, how I started playing paintball? Um, honestly, just in the backyard with a bunch of friends. Um, played it a couple times. God, it would have been like my sophomore year of high school, which would have been like 2002. Um, and then just kind of on a whim, we had like six or seven of us that were starting to play pretty regularly, like maybe once a month. And we wound up entering a tournament down in the cities at an outdoor field. It was, I think it was a seven man tournament. And we, I mean, there was only like three rookie teams, but we wound up winning. And of course, immediately think that we're hot shit and, uh, start playing more tournaments next year. And, um, you know, just kind of like, we all really enjoyed it, but some of us were more into it than others. And I wanted to kind of start playing higher levels pretty quickly. And, uh, I started hanging around the field. It was called, what was it? I mean, it's called Northside at the time, but I think it was something before that. Uh, but it Were was you playing hockey at the time? Uh, I was in high school, and then I quit in college. I, I never played college. I, I quit after high school. Hmm. Um, and then kind of like like paintball kind of filled that void of competitiveness. Um and it was it was where Ignition was playing at the time, which they played Division Two X Ball, um, like pretty early on in the X Ball days. Um, and then I kind of latched onto the team underneath that, but I try and practice as much as I could. I play every Thursdays was pickup games, and then Sundays were practice days, and uh, I just became a field rat and hung out there as much as I could, getting whooped up on and learn how to play yeah i think that's that's the biggest part right it's just showing up to the field playing no matter what jumping in whenever you can and really trying to just get the reps in good reps i mean yeah i think this is a, a big argument too is like um you can do all the reps you want but if your technique is wrong or if you're not doing yeah. if you're not doing the squat right then you're not you know you're not getting any kind of progress you have to be yeah, you have or, to be going the right direction. Or worse, right? Like if you don't if your if your technique isn't right, well you're lifting weights, you can hurt yourself, right? Like yeah. if you're if you're not playing people at your level or higher, like you know, you might be I don't know, you might be getting worse. So Yeah. It's hard to say sometimes. Well that's what I never understood about some people. Like they always wanted to be on the team that they thought was going to win. Like the team that they thought the better oh, players yeah, yeah. were on. I was always, always like, I want to play against those guys because I, that's yeah. that just doing that is a challenge to myself of saying like, okay, like, like if I get shot, it's, you know, it's because they're fucking good. But if I yeah. start making progress on them or I shoot with them, I'm like, okay, I'm making progress. I'm getting better. Yeah. And I think that's the only way you can do it because if you just, you can't, you can't move up if you take a couple steps down by fucking shooting people you know are shooting shooting people you yeah. know on purpose who like it's one thing to go out there and to like um you know if you only have certain people to play against you like just maybe play hopper ball mm -hmm. or maybe just like play left-handed yeah. or or make it at least challenging to yourself but if you go out there and you just purposely just fucking mow new new players down it's like what are you totally doing? like what are you getting off of that 100 percent, man like you go to an event and like you absolutely want to win every single game you play, but like 
if I came out of a practice and I won every single game I played, like it might be fun, but like I'm low key pretty pissed about it. Like I don't yeah. feel like I made any progress. And yeah, like I mean, kind of talking about aerosol, like that's what we do if we if people still wanted to play after practice on Sunday morning, it was like you had to play pump or I turned my halo off and I was just reloader. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was a Dorito player, so open play, I would only play snake. Um, not that I was good at it, but just learning something different and, and learning that made me a better Dorito player, like figuring out where I was getting shot from or who's, you know, who's doing this or that or yeah. different angles. Um, just always, if you're, if you're playing down, like always try and handicap yourself in a way to, to push yourself, whether it's mentally or physically. Yeah. Carry, carry extra pods. I don't know. Like weigh yourself down. It used to being a bigger, a bigger target. And if you can live with eight pods, you can live with five in an event. I don't know. There you go. Practice was always never my strong suit. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, I experimented a lot. And I mean, I experiment at the tournaments too, but I feel like I have a better understanding of what the possibilities are. Yeah. Um, but at practice, I really go all out to where it looks like I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, ride, I ride that line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, like, man, I always think about cheating too. And like, I, like after a while I was kind of pseudo running some practices and like, if I'd see guys like, okay, slide into the corner and you ditch a hit. Mm-hmm. I'd have no problem with you practicing ditching the hit. But if you slide into that corner and ditch a hit three times out of eight, like you're not doing your team any good figuring out how to play without a corner who three times out of eight is dead at a turn. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, ditch the hit and walk off if you want to practice that. But I don't know. Like if, you're, if your team practices for two months, like you're alive every point in the same corner, and then you get to an event and – 37% of the time you're laned, like, I don't know. We've got SOL. Yeah. Team's banking on being alive. Um, I don't know. So I, when I'd see that, I'd, I'd start to start to shoot people if I'd see them ditch hits and play. <laughs> but <laughs> No, right, rightfully so, right? I mean, it's one of those things where it's it's not it's not going to make you better just by, just by not being there in that point because you truly got yeah. shot isn't going to help even the team you're practicing, at least have respect enough for the players that you're playing against to be like, okay, good fucking shot. Because that now that guy thinks his yeah. lane is off or or something else, and it just makes it... And then sometimes at pro, pro practices are so fucking, like, just, like, ego-driven sometimes where it's like, dude, come on. Yeah. Like, just... Even, like, at least, like, if you bounce me, like, I'll even tell you. Like, I'm not trying to be this humble fucking... Yeah, yeah. Humble lord or whatever, but it's like... But I, I'll at least be like, "Hey, man, you guys bounce me going to the corner after the match." Yeah. But like, I'm totally. not gonna, I'm not gonna fucking try and. There's nothing on. There's nothing at stake. There's nothing on the line. So yeah. why be the best practice player in the world if you fucking suck at tournaments? Well, and same shit. Like, even if you're if you're snake corner player and you bounce four out of eight times with some fucking practice rock ball, like. What do you think is going to happen when you just do an event with Ultra Evil? Like, you're dead. You yeah. know, like, you got to change something. Like, even if they legitimately bounce, like, that's something you got to assess. Yeah, because at that point, so at that point, what I would do, like, let's say, let's say we had, we played four points. I got, mm-hmm. I got shot 
one of them going to the corner. I made it twice after that, but then I got bounced the fourth time, the fourth point. What I would do at that point would would be I would start to assess like, okay, should I run and shoot? Um, or mm-hmm. is there a way for somebody else just to throw their first three, four balls at mm-hmm. that guy? Because that's always been um, – mm-hmm. I dropped my fiddle stick, my, my pencil. I always got to fucking twiddle something in <laughs> yeah. my fingers while I'm having a conversation. Um, but it's it's – I always thought about it like that. Like um, with high-level guys who are laning – are they're fucking their shit's on man like yeah, their stuff is on. on you have yeah. and and i'm not saying it's easy to turn and fucking shoot your gun at a gap but it's easy to turn and shoot your gun at a gap like especially with a ramping yeah, marker yeah. for the most part um like yeah. some guys some, at some times you'll be like walking up to a bunker or something like that or you're just gonna turn and shoot or the like Sometimes you, you there might be some motion involved in it, but for the most part, like you're shooting a stationary gap that somebody mm-hmm. in in motion is going to be going through. Um, yeah. But I, I I'm I'm a big big giant believer that running and shooting where you can is super effective, especially if you can do something off the break fairly close. Because if you can throw, even even if one gets close or two. Like all you need it, is a flinch, right? Yeah, just get them In to theory, kind of yeah. like, oh shit, kind of do that thing and let mm-hmm. let go of the trigger or you know get out of the rhythm for one second. That opens up that gap in between their lanes, and now you're through. So it's like I, so, that's how I always thought about it. It's like, okay, well, this guy's shooting me fifty percent of the time. I would say because I would I would call a bounce yeah. a shot. I would play the match because it doesn't fucking yeah, yeah. count. But you know, I, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. but I was just in my head. I would count it as getting shot. But like. Agreed. Okay. Okay. Well, let's let's get these odds in my favor, and let's figure out how to like. I would start walking those spots of where I could run and shoot, and kind of shoot that guy in that same gap, or maybe a, a, a quick gap before, or even if somebody on the other side, like if we can sacrifice a gap maybe on that side to make it a little easier for mm-hmm. me. This sounds super selfish, but to make it easier for me <laughs> to like make a spot on another side, I'll be like. Hey, hey, um, yeah. hey, Rob or whoever on the Dorito side, he'd be like, "Hey, can you like step out and shoot this way?" Because sometimes that might be your best bet to to have a shot on that snake, uh, that snake shooter guy oh, is having totally. finding a gap on the Dorito side quick, shooting over that guy, just going, and then bringing your lane back down for maybe like a, a Dorito corner or something like that. But at least you have those initial balls going towards that snake shooter and then dropping them back in, you know to a Dorito gap. And that's all I have For to sure. say about that. No, I 100% <laughs> support that. That's how my brain thinks in like, in <laughs> you know, a, a minute of trying to figure shit out. No, it all makes sense. And I totally agree, man. Like, yeah, like it's all about just like, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's problem solving, right? Like mm-hmm. probabilities and numbers and figuring it out your odds of making it out there and then how to change those odds in your favor and yeah you know not necessarily shooting for the kill but for shooting for a flinch and i don't know it, it is fun like it, you know it always was a chess match and i haven't i haven't played for i should say i haven't played for like six or seven years at that but yeah man um i am kind of itching to get back out so you should you should <laughs> um um 
I always, you, people always say it's a chess match. I never learned how to play chess, so it was never a chess match for me. It was always yeah. like, I wouldn't say checkers. I would yeah. say, for me, it's always been like, it's like those little individual tabletop puzzles. Like the nail, like, like the nails, it's like, it's like the golf tees or it's like the, it's like the, the nails that are wrapped around each other or something like that, where it's like, sometimes you just have to worry about this, this one thing where this guy's in front of you yeah. and you just kind of figure that out. Or you have two in front of you, which is where, you know, you would have to figure out two puzzles at once. But for me, it was never like a, a giant chess match. It was always like these small individual games happening inside yeah. this bigger game um, to where it maybe and maybe that's a front guy mentality of where it's like it's a it's a form of tunnel vision. But I feel like if you can't if you can't figure out the puzzle in front of you, it I think it's very difficult also to. I think you can pay attention to the big picture, but I feel like if you don't, yeah. if you don't pay attention to your your job, um, of of doing what a front guy does, which I think is at least shoot one to two guys per match, yeah. um, and you don't worry about doing that, and you worry too much about all the all their players, like you almost have to do that subconsciously, and I think that's why the top guys are so good is that they can focus on these puzzles at the same time. But they have their ears and their brains going about if something happens on the far side of the field or if or if shit goes south, they they can change like on an instant and go from like worrying about these two guys or this one guy and then go into like recon mode where it's like, okay, all right, we lost two guys on that side. It's time to like slow down and adjust and adapt. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. Like and I, I think that's totally fair. Like, I think as a front guy, like, yeah, you, like, you know, the bigger plan, but like your goal, I mean, most front guys don't survive the game. Right. So like your goal is very specific and I'm going to do X, Y, Z and everyone else's job is to clean this mess up. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like, yeah, I, X ball was always, X ball was always more like, I felt, I guess my strategy was, I will take a punch to give two. Like it always felt mm-hmm. like if I could take two people out, like I've done my job. Yeah. Seven man always felt much more like a chess match for it's, yeah. you know, you are playing the long game and, and kind of the same thing where like you do hear a, a gun all of a sudden shift and it's like, okay, what just happened? Or, um, you know, with no coaching or, you know, all of a sudden one side of the field goes quiet and it's like, is that a good quiet or a bad quiet? Like what's going on over there? <laughs> trying to, trying to figure that out. Like something feels off. Yeah. I would say most of the time, it's a bad quiet. It's usually bad. (laughs) (laughs) Like getting, like, am I going to get run down? Ooh, yeah, I fell down. All right. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Dude, I I think that's one, one good thing. I mean, there's multiple good things about this level team. But I think that one, uh, the distinct ones that I really like is, like, just the the determination and just the um just the fuck you mentality of where it's like dude let's yeah. just let's go man let's go back and forth let's just put everything on the line and let's just let's make it happen let's who cares if it's not it doesn't have to be pretty but we're yeah. going to do it our way and it's uh, you know it's fucking our way hell yeah man and like i mean i always remember watching uh uh 
watched Hero for a Day by Monkey with a Gun or what I don't know if they're still around, but I remember you guys talking about like reckless abandon and just like that certain level of recklessness in your game where it's just like willing to lash out and yeah, you don't know how the chips are gonna fall, but like mm-hmm. can you put those odds in your favor? And if so, like, yeah, I'll take that gamble every day. Like Yeah. I think you have to you have to be a risk taker as a front player. And as a mid player, yeah. I think you have to do the same thing. It's almost like mm-hmm. it's like the front players are the risk takers, not that the back guys don't take risks. Please yeah, yeah. back players don't get mad at me because you're so <laughs> important. Don't get me wrong, so important, but it, yeah. this is coming from a front, front player's perspective. <laughs> um but I feel like the front players are very risk oriented. They're 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 very yeah. much the risk takers on not only just a break, but just during the game, because that's where we're the ones that make the guns turn. We're the ones that make mm-hmm. that that uh, attract the attention of of the other front players or the back players or whatever it may be. Um, the mm-hmm. mid players are very much the uh, the negotiators. They're the ones yeah. that kind of that kind of feel the situation out and see what to do, and and they they figure out whether to go now. Um, with the bodies that are alive or whether they need to hold back and, and play more of the three. And the threes are the one that control. They're the control side. They're the ones that, that determine um, really the sometimes the pace of the front player. Um, yeah. Because yeah. you have to, you can only do so much on your own. As a, I mean, fuck, my career was was a lot of other people doing their job well for me to be able to like like i did a lot myself too don't get me wrong because i i felt like i was very much in charge of of how i played the game and how i how i controlled it in a sense but if the guys behind me weren't doing their job and they weren't holding guys in and they weren't holding lanes or doing that i wouldn't have been able to do fucking half three quarters of the shit that i was able to get away with yeah and i mean like even on a next level like regardless of whether you've shot two people or not like if you're in a five on five game and there's two to three guns on you you've arguably arguably done your job all you have to do is stay alive in that position other people should be figuring out the puzzle behind you but like Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i yeah it is a fun game man i do miss it um i gotta take a piss i want to keep going yeah yeah for sure bud okay i'll be right back we'll put it on pause Got another cider though. There you go. That's why you're feeling so jolly. Yeah. <laughs> A little soft stuff. So what um so what'd you have going on today? What'd you do today at the shop? Finished up your knife, bud. Oh yeah, that's right. Um <laughs> I made uh I did like I guess between today and yesterday I did thirty five sheets. Um Actually, let me. I'm gonna send you a picture of your knife. Ooh, thirty-five, thirty-five individual pieces of metal layered on top of each other. Uh, thirty-five sheets. So I've got thirty-five outdoor knives that were at the stage oh, where they were sheets. ready for a, a sheet. Yeah. I thought you said. I don't know. I don't know what I thought you said. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sending you some pictures on Instagram, bud. Dude. I'm so excited. Oh no. Here it is. So when I think of Carl Murkowski, I always think of your excessive JT frames with yeah. that orange and yellow. 
So I gave you some orange and yellow with some black. Dude, that is badass, man. Yeah, buddy. That's so sick, dude. I love I love the finish on the blade of where it's like raw. Yeah. Yeah, so it's got a forge finish and then uh the core is fifty two one hundred. It's a ball bearing seal. Super good. High carbon, nice seal. That is fucking badass, bro. The colors are awesome too. Yeah, thanks, man. Is that like a carbon do you say is that like a carbon handle? A carbon fiber? Um there's there's carbon fiber pins, but uh the other material it's G ten and micarta. So their synthetic materials are super durable. Um yeah, you won't have any issues with with maintenance or anything in terms of that. So yeah, okay. just a super rugged handle. Dude, I love how dark the blade is too. It has like it's almost black. Yeah, yeah. Dude, thank you no, so a, much. It's bro. a red, red knife. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you, thank you, man. I'm happy to to make you a knife, and you know, it's. I mean, to get like a little sappy and sentimental, like you know, it's an heirloom esque quality product, and hopefully, I mean, hopefully not too soon, but like you know, someday your kid will inherit it and. You know, like I, like one of the things that always stood out to me about knives is I remember when my grandpa passed away, like, I I mean, I've always been kind of a knife guy, not like a collector or anything, but just the favorite thing that I got from him, him was pocket knives because they were just worn and beat up and like, I could tell he carried it with him every day and like, you know, it's, it wasn't great knives or anything, but like it, it just, I love the wear and I knew that he used it. So yeah. it's one of my favorite things. Yeah. Oh dude, that's, that's awesome. And yeah, it's just like the thing we were talking about where it had, it had character to it and it had like, you know, that mm-hmm. that meant something to that person. And, yeah. and I can't wait to incorporate this into my everyday carry of everything. Cause it's going to cool. be, it's going to be, <laughs> good, but good. now the decision like, is like how to wear it. Like, how am I going to wear it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm I'm sending you a neck sheath with it, but um, I mean, personally, I like using the same neck sheath. Like, I just throw it in my pocket. Like, I just slide it in my front pocket. Yeah, that's how I always do. So a little bit concealed, but I don't know. Depends on your state laws. (laughs) (laughs) I like not to get like cheesy with or anything, but like, um, yeah, what's his name from uh, Jurassic Park? Uh, fucking, you know what I'm talking about the main character, dude. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't think of his uh, name. For some reason. Is it, is it Grant? I, I, I know who you're talking about though. Yeah. Well, you, you know that knife that he had, like he carried, like on his, it was on his lower back, like on his belt that was horizontal. Yeah. Like I always, I wanted to carry one like that, like have it fucking yeah, yeah. back on my belt side. Yeah, like, like that. a pro, like a cross draw like mm-hmm. uh, like a yeah behind the back cross draw sheath yeah yep um i don't make them but there's tons of people out there that do will do yeah i'm sure there's guys locally that'll do it i know actually this is a rad knife maker out of uh how close are you to akron oh that's one that's like maybe an hour 45 i think something like that yeah uh a, a buddy of mine his name is uh, he goes by colony knife co like c-o-l-o-n-y mm-hmm. um Super rad dude. Make some cool knives. So look them up. 
Yeah, who are who are your inspirations as far as uh, knife makers go? Um, so I learned from a guy who he learned in Japan for like 17, 18 years, and uh, I'll say we have our personal differences. Um, his name is Murray Carter, um, and I I take a lot of inspiration from a lot of his knives, but like I we definitely have some different visual. I'd say visual differences. Like he, he prefers a much more rustic knife, and I prefer like a clean, like high polish and um, full grind. It's, it's, it's definitely some nuances, but um, probably one of my best buddies is uh, who I share shop space with. His name is Alex Horn, and uh, he worked for Murray as well. And we've been off on our own for about two and a half years, so we. We started our business a month before COVID hit, so it's been <laughs> timing has been interesting, but uh, yeah, doing good. So, would you say that when that when you guys started your business at the time, did you have a shop space and everything like that, or was it uh, was it just kind of? Yeah, so we had we had signed our lease and we had started purchasing equipment when COVID hit. Um, so like our, so our power hammer came from China and when COVID first broke out in China, they shut down the entire country for like a month. So our hammer got, our hammer was finished and at the dock, but couldn't move from the dock onto a ship. And then by the time China opened back up for that month, they sent it to their distribution is in North Carolina. And by the time I got to North Carolina, COVID was hitting the U.S. So it got stuck in North Carolina for like another three or four weeks. So we were probably, I mean, like we had equipment all over the U.S., but a lot of stuff was delayed probably about 30 days to up to 80 or 90 days for some stuff. So would you say a, a significant wrench. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> would you say that business picked up? during COVID or was it kind of like lacking behind? Yeah. Oddly enough for like knife, knives and gen- like, so business definitely picked up for knife makers. I'd say, um, we were kind of too late to, to get in on it. Cause like we, like we probably didn't have our first finished knives until July of 2020. And there was kind of like a knife boom around like May because all of a sudden everyone was like a home cook. So they were looking for great kitchen knives and like, you know, you're just on Instagram shopping and you find these cool little niche products and stuff. So um, we definitely caught some of the tail end of it, but we we weren't in process for kind of the big boom early on. Mm. What's your favorite knife to make? Man, honestly, kitchen knives. Like Like I got into it. I mean, I love outdoor knives. I was kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to make outdoor knives. Like, um, But, man, I, I love making kitchen knives. Like, in terms of function and, like, bang for your buck, if a good kitchen knife will last you so long and outperform anything you buy in the store. Um, I don't know. I, I just kind of the same thing as, like, talking about, you know, my grandpa's knives. Like, when I, when I get a knife that I made, two years ago in for you know sharpening or like a, a bit of a spa day and i can just tell that it's been used so much like i love that i i just 
in, like intrinsically, I feel how much value that that's that's added to that that person's cooking. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I find it really rewarding. That's awesome. Have you had any um, high profile customers at all? Mm, let's see. I mean, I know that like I've had. Um, I know there's at least one former NFL player that has a couple. Um, yeah. Is he a Viking? I mean, no, actually. Um, I definitely like a lot of, lot of high-end chefs and stuff. Um, nothing like, obviously not Anthony Bourdain, but like nothing like Gordon Ramsay or anything. Yeah. But, yeah, they're out there. That's sweet, though, man. I would... That'd be so. That'd be so cool to see like <laughs> your your uh, knife tagged in like some kind of some kind of restaurant setting and actually seeing it yeah. used and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like it's fun to get it in the hands of like a big chef too. But like, I don't know. Like, I I love working with local people and like we try and be really organic with, you know, a lot of local chefs around here and, um, you know, going out and meeting them and talking to them when I get the chance and mm-hmm. um, done some like local sharpening demos and stuff like that. And just, I don't know. It's just grassroots type stuff and really enjoy making a, a difference in, you know, the average restaurant too. So. Would you say that your, uh, your marketing has been a lot of mouth to mouth? I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Is that, is that the saying mouth to mouth? That's not the saying. Word, word of mouth. Word of mouth. <laughs> do you uh, man, do you do you like... need mouth to mouth resuscitation whenever you use one of these knives because they're so awesome? Is that that's what I meant to ask? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Word of mouth is awesome. Like, um, I yeah. I mean, I guess I would say I haven't. I've never bought ads to be honest. Um, yeah, everything's been Instagram and just trying to build my own little following and and market. Um, I do work with five five resellers in the U.S. and uh, they're kind of all over. I've got one in well, I just have two stores, but one in Nashville and New Orleans, and then another store in D.C., another store in San Antonio, Texas, and then one in uh shit sacramento california and then the last one is in it's actually an online retailer named meat artisan and they're out of illinois nice dude so yeah just kind of bopping around and you know i they're great like every single one of those stores is just so people oriented and like forward facing and reputable and it's kind of the next best thing to like true word of mouth we're like um handing the knife off to someone like i just know that they all take care of every aspect of their business so totally trust them yeah that's awesome dude that's whether it be word of mouth or mouth to mouth dude people are gonna love your Mm -hmm. love your knife (laughs) (laughs) totally well dude thank you so much i i very much appreciate your time so much man i know you're i know you're busy making amazing knives and um where can people contact you and go see all of your work yeah um my best contact is Instagram. My screen name is JM Chop. 
J-M-C-H-O-P-P. Uh, otherwise, I'm at Jameson Chop Knives, and that's Jameson with an I. Uh, com. Awesome, dude. I, I can't thank you enough, and I, I, I can't wait to use and carry uh, the knife that you made. It, it truly, truly means a lot, dude. I, I really do enjoy it. Absolutely, man. Um, man, I love catching up. Yeah. Great to see you, and happy to see you just working away in all these different avenues of your life. And Yeah, happy for you, bud. Same, brother. Super happy for you. And hopefully we see each other face-to-face soon. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you so much, James. It was a pleasure talking to you, man. I'm so glad that he is a person and he's here and he's doing the things that he's doing. Um, it's it's amazing to see. If you guys want to follow uh, Jameson and all of his adventures and his product that he puts out, you can follow him on Instagram, jmchop, that's C-H-O-P-P. And if you're interested in purchasing one of his amazing knives, you can find it at jamesonchopknives.com. That's chop, C-H-O-P-P. Thank you, bud. It was a pleasure talking to you. And I can't wait to see the knife. I can't wait to see it. And have it and just carry it as a daily carry. It's amazing. Dude, it's, I love handmade stuff. It's It just it means so much more, I feel, to me. And uh, it's going to be so sick. Can't wait. Uh, a big shout out again to our sponsors. Good Game Sports Park happening and being built right now in the St. Louis area. If you want to keep up with what's going on, you can go to JJ Sports Park uh, on Instagram, on Facebook. Keep up with everything that's happening with the progress of the park. And, uh, and yeah, it's going to be out of this world for rec play, for, uh, for competitive play. It's going to be one of the top fields in the Midwest, and I cannot wait to see it in person. Another big shout-out to Charm City Paintball, the head game and head rep guru, Mr. Mike Thompson, kicking out some amazing headgear. The quality is off the charts. As long as you take care of it and you wash it and you do all these awesome things, hang dry your headbands, please. Wash them, but hang dry them, just like mainly most of your paintball gear. Just hang dry because you put it in the dryer and it's just going to slowly wear away at tearing it apart. Um, I had to find this out the hard way. So uh, through my career, I used to dry everything and I don't do that anymore, especially the headgear. But mics will hold up. I'm telling you, he buys only the best uh, fabrics and is a seamster is that what's a, a male seam is this i don't know i'm sure he'll let me know <laughs> but thank you mike also a big shout out to melavio the only cbd company that i use and that i trust you can find them at m-e-l-l-o-v-e-o.com and you can find all of their products that i use on there including the sav i swear you should try it out I use it on my knees all the time. And if you want 15% off, capital T-P-O-P, at checkout. Thank you to all of our sponsors, and thank you to everybody out there listening. It is a absolute pleasure to be able to do this podcast and to have everybody listening and to get all the feedback. It, uh, it does not fall on deaf ears. I thank you guys so much for all the support and for all of the generous comments 
and uh, suggestions and criticisms. It's, it's great. Either way, I so much appreciate it. Please keep your eyes on the road. Do not text and drive. And we'll see you again here soon on the Playing On Podcast. Peace.